Welcome to Reconquest on the Crusade Channel of the Veritas Radio Network. This is Brother Andre Marie coming to you from St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire. Our websites are Catholicism.org and Reconquest.net. My email address is BAM, B-A-M, at Catholicism.org. I can also be found easily on Twitter, at Brother underscore Andre, and on Facebook. The topic this evening is old clothes and dead men's bones. We're talking about relics. My guest this evening is author and historian Mr. Charles Coulomb, who has a thing or two, or 20, to say about relics. He'll be joining us for the second segment. So let's jump into the subject of relics. This is one of those sort of weird Catholic things that non-Catholics, especially non-Catholic Christians, um, especially, say, evangelical Christians, fundamentalists, Baptists, but I guess all, all mainstream Protestants, mainline Protestants, uh, tend to think is one of the more bizarre manifestations of Catholic piety. And, of course, um, accusations are not wanting from certain segments of these groups um, along the lines of this is yet one of many uh, many proofs that the Catholic Church is idolatrous and there's this sort of idolatrous worship of dead men's bones and old clothes and other things that had touched saints and martyrs and the Blessed Virgin and, and uh, the apostles and so forth. So what of relics? What is it we're going to say about relics tonight? Very quickly in the first segment, I want to, first of all, establish what the church's doctrine concerning relics is, and that's very easily done since she's clarified it completely at the Council of Trent. And then I'm going to step through some um, kind of fundamental apologetical um, defenses of the uh, veneration that is shown to relics. The Council of Trent says this in its 25th session, the holy bodies of holy martyrs and of others now living with Christ, which bodies were the living members of Christ and the temple of the Holy Ghost, and which are by him to be raised to eternal life and to be glorified, are to be venerated by the faithful. So there's a veneration, and, and the veneration that's done by the faithful is a veneration that is um, proportioned to the honor shown to saints. So it's a veneration. It's not an adoration. Uh, we do not adore the bodies of saints. That's the, that's the cult of worship that's due to God alone. And we've talked about this before, about the different kinds of worship, the cultus latriae, the cultus dulie, and so forth. A saint's relics are given the cultus dulie, the, the cult of worship that's shown to um, a servant, which is what um, doula is in Greek. So again, the Council of Trent says that the bodies of holy martyrs and of others now living with Christ— uh, whose bodies were the living members of Christ and the temple of the Holy Ghost. By the way, that's a quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that the body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and which are by him to be raised to eternal life and to be glorified are to be venerated by the faithful. So it's a statement of faith in the fact that the baptized uh, body uh, was at one time a temple of the Holy Ghost and will be uh, glorified in heaven with God at the end of time, at, at the end of the, when we have the resurrection of the body and life eternal. 
so this is with the, the holy martyrs, the, the apostles, of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, of course, she didn't leave any relics. That's a different, that's a different story there. But all of these bodies are nonetheless holy, and they are to be glorified at the end of time. So that's the Catholic teaching quite simply. Of course, there are besides relics of the saints, there are relics of our Lord, um, no first-class relics, of course, because he, uh, he ascended in his body, but there are what we call second-class relics, relics of the true cross, relics of the passion, uh, the flagellum, the, the, the spear of Longinus, the nails, and things like that, um, the, the crown of thorns. There are many relics of th- things that were pertained to our Lord, things that had touched our Lord's body. Now, <clears throat> believe it or not, the concept of relics is biblical. This may come as a surprise to some people. Elias the prophet, uh, that's Elijah in the King James Version, um, was taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot, as uh, those who've read um, Fourth Kings or Second Kings in the Protestant Version would know. Before he did so, uh, he promised that his uh, prophetical son, his prophetical heir, um, Eliseus, uh, who's also called Elisha, would receive his double spirit, but only if, if he, he, he saw Elias going up in the fiery chariot. Well, he saw Elias going up in the fiery chariot, and Elias threw down his mantle, that mantle which is associated by Catholics with the, with the Carmelite scapular. He cast down his mantle, and with that mantle, um, Elias, rather, um, Elias had worked a miracle, but Eliseus worked a miracle too. Namely, he got over the other side of the river where they had, where, where he had been. He struck the waters with the um, mantle, and the river divided. There was a little like, like a Red Sea parting kind of phenomenon, and he walked across the other side of the Jordan. It's the exact same miracle that Elias himself had done with his mantle to get them on that side of the Jordan in the first place before he was taken up in the fiery chariot. So here we have Elias's mantle representing his authority uh, being used to work a miracle. Somehow it's instrumental in the working of a miracle. I don't want to dwell too much on any of these examples, but I, I do think we need to appreciate them. The second one involves, uh, again, Eliseus or Elisha, the prophet, and it involves him when he's quite dead. He's already died. He's been buried and um, he's rotted and his bones are there in a sepulcher. And when the rovers of Moab come into the land, um, there were some Jews burying a man. And when they saw the rovers come, they had to bury the body really quick. And they quickly cast it into the sepulcher where Eliseus was buried. And when the body touched the bones of Eliseus, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. If you want to look this up in the King James Bible or any Protestant version, uh, you will find it in 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 20 to 21. 2 Kings 13, 20 to 21. In the Catholic Douay Bible, it's um, 4 Kings. Uh, again, so we have relics here. This, this, this time it's not just a, a mantle. Okay, and this time it's bones. It's dead men's bones. It's the the bones of the dead Eliseus. Um, are somehow when this man's body comes into contact with him, the man was dead, 
And he's raised to life by coming into contact with the bones of Eliseus. It's in the Bible. I, I'm not going to tell you wh- why why God did this, but he did it. And um, if you accept the Bible as inerrant, you accept that this happened. And somehow there was an instrumentality at work with that those bones. Um there's one other Old Testament example that I can give, and that is that the Ark of the Covenant, which many, 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 many marvels were worked with the Ark of the Covenant, including military uh, victories and other um, very strange phenomena, the, 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 the um, destruction of the idol of Dagon and things like this that were associated with the Ark of the Covenant. What did the Ark of the Covenant contain? Well, it contained three relics. It contained the tablets of the law, that had been broken, remember? It contained the rod of Aaron, and it contained um, a gomor, or a jar, of manna from the Israelites wandering in the deserts. So three relics, um, uh, one of them sort of of Moses, one of them of Aaron, and the other from the desert sojourning of the manna, uh, were inside the ark being preserved for whatever reason. Actually, all of them were prophetical of Christ's uh, priesthood, but we won't, won't have time to develop that here. Um, going into the Gospels, we know that there was an episode that's related in Mark chapter 5 of the woman who had an issue of blood. And she says within herself, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. She had an issue of blood and, and, and for 12 years, and the physicians couldn't help her. And Mark, who was himself... Um, well, no, Mark wasn't a physician. Luke was. Mar- Mark tells this story at great length, and he he points out that this woman had spent a lot of money on physicians and was never healed. When she touched the hem of our Lord's garment, she was instantly healed. And our Lord said very mysteriously, who touched me? I felt power going out from me. She didn't touch our Lord. She touched the hem of his garment. And through the hem of his garment, this miracle was worked. Again, I'm not, I'm not claiming that the hem somehow has intrinsic power, no more than the bones of a dead man, and no more than, than, than a mantle would have some intrinsic power to do this. Nonetheless, they were somehow endowed with divine power. Interestingly, in his commentary on this passage, John Calvin says that the woman was superstitious for thinking this. But um, Cornelius Alapide, the great Catholic commentator, points out that St. Mark himself attributes it to the woman's faith. In fact, our Lord himself says that your faith has made you whole. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be thou whole of thy disease. And he calls her daughter. So he's, 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 he's um, praising her for her faith. He's not, he's not chiding her for her superstition. So Calvin was simply wrong about this. There are further passages in the New Testament as well. Um, St. Peter's very shadow cast upon people healed them. And this is related in Acts chapter 5. Uh, when Peter came, his shadow, the Peter, p- people laid the, the sick and infirm on couches and beds so that when Peter passed by, his shadow at the least might overshadow any of them and they might be delivered from their infirmities. Again, Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 19, we have people working miracles by the hand of Paul by the hand of Paul, so St. Paul's hand, which of course was attached to the living St. Paul, is shown to be um, an instrument for the working of miracles. 
So God wrought by the hand of Paul more than common miracles, so that even there were brought from his body to the sick handkerchiefs and aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the wicked spirits went out of them. So people were bringing handkerchiefs and aprons to St. Paul's body, touching them to St. Paul's body as he lived, and taking them and using those relics, those things that had been sanctified by their contact with the Holy Apostle, um, to those who were infirm and those who were possessed, and had delivered them of their infirmities and demonic possession. Um, a very powerful argument. I mean, th- th- this is a relic. This is something that has come into contact with a saint. Yes, he was a living saint. He's a saint nonetheless. Um, you're listening to Reconquest on the Crusade Channel of the Veritas Radio Network. This is Brother Andre Marie coming to you from St. Benedict's Center. Um, I'm going to now quote a liberal Protestant um, scholar of the 19th century, a man by the name of Harnack, who lamented the great antiquity of the cult of holy relics. And he says this, Most offensive was the worship of relics. It flourished to its greatest extent as early as the 4th century, and no church doctor of repute restricted it. All of them, rather, even the Cappadocians, countenanced it. The numerous miracles which were wrought by the bones and relics seemed to confirm their worship. The church, therefore, would not give up the practice, although a violent attack was made upon upon it by a few cultured heathens and besides by the Manichaeans. So the people that objected to it were cultured heathens, i.e. unbelievers, pagans, Gentiles, and Manichaeans, namely heretics, heretics uh, who St. Augustine himself uh, uh, vociferously opposed. So Harnack laments the fact that none of the doctors in the early church uh, repudiated the the honor, the veneration shown to to relics. Um, I have a small collection of such patristic passages in an article that's going to be linked from the reconquest.net page by the time this this, uh, show airs. And uh, the first one dates from uh, the year 155. Uh, and it is from the Martyrium Polycarpi. It's, it's a relation of the martyrdom of St. Polycarp. And it's very, very clear uh, showing the, the, the veneration that's shown to, to holy relics. St. Gregory of Nyssa, who died in 386. St. Ambrose, who died in 397. The Apostolic Constitutions, which date from roughly 400. Uh, St. Jerome, who died in 420. St. Augustine, who died in 430. All of these and more um, testify to the veneration shown to sacred relics. I am going to quote one of them in one only, namely St. Augustine, the last of these. He says this, quote, The miracle which was wrought at Milan when I was there, and by which a blind man was restored to sight, could come to the knowledge of many. For not only is this city a large one, but also the emperor was there at the time, and the occurrence was witnessed by an immense concourse of people that had gathered to the bodies of the martyrs Protasius and Gervasius, which had long lain concealed and unknown, but were now made known to the bishop Ambrose, as would be St. Ambrose, who baptized St. Augustine. They were made known by the, to the bishop St. Ambrose in a dream and discovered by him. By virtue of these remains, the darkness of that blind man was scattered, and he saw the light of day. This is from St. Augustine's um, Monum Opus, The City of God, chapter 22. 
Now, St. Augustine, of course, was a very learned man. He was a great rhetorician. He was, uh, he was a, a philosopher, well-versed in the Neoplatonic philosophy, which was common in his day. Um, he was extremely educated. He was not a credulous kind of person, and he certainly, certainly was not a superstitious kind of person. In fact, he mocked the Manichaean heresy for its many ridiculous superstitions. Yet here, he witnessed... This miracle that came from the from the um, Saints Gervais and Protes, as they're sometimes called, Gervasius and Protasius, uh, re- relics which had been revealed miraculously to St. Ambrose. They were martyred, early martyrs from Milan, and St. Ambrose, the bishop of Milan, contemporary with St. Augustine, um, dug them up. For some reason, St. Ambrose was a was kind of a kind of a, a relic uh, detective uh, because those these are not the only relics that he miraculously found and interred underneath his altar in the church. In the same chapter, the City of God, um, chapter um, twenty eight twenty two. Um, St. Augustine enthusiastically describes numerous miracles worked through the relics of St. Stephen. And there was a miraculous discovery of the relics of St. Stephen at the time of St. Augustine. St. Augustine believed in this miraculous miraculous discovery of St. Stephen's relics. He sent a priest of his, a Spaniard, over to the Holy Land to procure some of these relics. He brought them back and built a shrine in North Africa to St. Stephen, where he interred, uh, or enshrined rather, these relics. And it was the practice in the early church, St. Augustine would have been familiar with it, to put the bodies of relics, uh, put the bodies of martyrs, namely their relics, uh, of these saints underneath the altars upon which the holy sacrifice of the Mass was offered. So this is um, yet another example. So why is it? What, what is so special about relics? Why do miracles? Why are miracles work through them? Why do we venerate them? In God's incarnational economy of salvation, God sanctifies stuff. He sanctifies matter, and he sanctifies matter through us. Through He sanctifies us through matter. How is it that he sanctifies matter? Well, was not the body of Jesus Christ holy? Of course it was holy. Was not the body of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which became the, the temple of Christ, holy? Of course it was holy. Are not the bodies of the saints holy? Of course they're holy, otherwise St. Paul wouldn't call them the temple of the Holy Ghost. A temple is a holy thing. It's set apart. It's set aside. It's consecrated for sacred use. The body of the faithful Christian, which is baptized, is set aside for for sacred use. The history of salvation is a history, especially in the New Testament, since the Incarnation. It's a history of men being sanctified, interiorly, truly renovated and made holy, but often by the agency of material things. And I can hear somebody objecting, but the Bible says, Jesus says in John 6, but the flesh profiteth nothing. The flesh profiteth nothing. Well, Jesus is constantly distinguishing between the flesh and the spirit. St. Paul is distinguishing between the flesh and the spirit. But any Christian who says that the flesh of Jesus profiteth nothing knows nothing about how we were saved. Why would Jesus have a body and have nails driven through it? God couldn't have nails driven through him. He had to have a body, right? A lance couldn't go into the, into the heart of God because it's not an organ of flesh. But the heart of Jesus Christ, the man God, was an organ of flesh and could be wounded and could be shown honor and worship and glory. 
And this is the whole point of the whole relic thing. It's part of an economy that's very incarnational in which we are sanctified through things, things like sacraments, things that are secondary causes. The Bible, which is a material thing, sanctifies, doesn't it? It's a means of sanctification. It's a means of passing on faith. The apostles and their preaching, these were men. Preaching is a, is a material thing. Okay, it, it, it happens through material organs. Um, our Lord's sacred humanity, right? Now, people object to abuses in the whole relic thing, and I don't have time to develop it, but I, I do address abuses in the piece that I have on uh, linked from the Reconquest.net resource page. That's all we have time for in this segment. You're listening to Reconquest on the Crusade channel of the Veritas Radio Network, radio the way it should be. You're listening to Reconquest with Brother Andre Marie, seeking that which was lost and fighting for it. Exclusively on the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. 